Hey girls and ghouls, welcome to Slashes Brewer Blondes, a podcast where three brunettes talk the kinds of movies that bite, scream, and slash. I'm Natalie. I'm Heidi. And I'm Laura. And today we're taking on small town slugs in James Gunn's 2006 film, Slither. the entire time i was watching That's this movie so there any funny. walk the moon fans out there you will know what i'm talking about new alternate ending where the slugs sing that and that's the end of the movie <laughs> i bet you if the if the same people who made slumber party massacre 2 got a hold of this that's what they would have done um that song is too good for the people who made slumber party massacre 2. <laughs> i guess that's true <laughs> although this movie was similarly a vibe Today we're talking about the movie Slither. This is my second ever pick for the podcast. And it was kind of an unexpected pick, but I think I wanted to do something that was kind of fun because our last couple of films were a little intense. And I think that this has a pretty good connection to our discussion that we had last time on The Brood. Um, This is a very body horror heavy movie. And I know that James Gunn has listed Cronenberg as one of his biggest influencers. So you can definitely see that, I think, in this film. I think that he said this film was pretty heavily inspired by... At least in some part, Shivers, which is one of Cronenberg's earliest films. I think it was his first big one. Yeah, and then there's also, I think, some Night of the Creeps was in there, which is not Cronenberg, but also makes sense. The thing. Manga Uzumaki by Junji Ito is also one of the things he references. Yeah, which is fantastic. I think this movie is definitely like a movie that's kind of made for people who like horror movies. There's a lot of homages in here, a lot of references. And it's like, I think it's a fun time. I think it's a really good horror comedy blend. And I think that it is definitely a modern cult fave. Yeah. Um, it's one of my favorite movies from the 2000s. And when I actually saw it for the first time, which was, I don't know, like five years ago, maybe a little longer, I had extremely low expectations. Laura, you said that you looked up the trailer for this movie, right? (laughs) I did, yes. Which I actually normally don't do. It doesn't do any favors. Let's just say that. It's a horrible trailer. Like, I I don't know what they were doing. Like, it was like at the peak of that marketing turn where like everything was being marketed. I don't know, like dudes who drink Mountain Dew and watch Family Guy, I guess. Like, I don't. Well, it definitely, like, I was immediately kind of turned off because it starts with, you know, the whoever's talking saying, like, the most classic horror films, Halloween, Nightmare on Elm Street, were all for sissies. And, like, I get what they were doing. Like, they were totally making fun of themselves and pointing out that this is going to be kind of a campy movie. But I was just like, you don't fucking say that. I think the trailer honestly does a disservice to the film because this is a horror comedy, but it's not like it's not like a scary movie. You know what I mean? Like it's not a parody. It's not trying to be something that it isn't. I genuinely feel that this is a very well-made film. I think that the marketing campaign for it made it seem like it was a joke. It's funny, Mm -hmm. but it's not a joke. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I read a quote from, I think it was Nathan Fillion, uh, talking about like what James Gunn had said to him about the movie and like the tone. And he said, we're making a funny movie, but it, we're not making a comedy. Yeah. And Nathan Fillion was like, oh, okay, like I get it. Like I get what I'm supposed to be going. For. Yeah, I think that the blend of like horror and comedy in this movie is one of the reasons why I like it mm-hmm. so much and why I think it stands up even to a rewatch today. Because this came out like in 2006. That was 
a long time ago. <laughs> it was like 15 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If I can just add like two cents in there, you know, comedy's not really my bag, but I was pleasantly surprised by this movie because mm-hmm. I, I don't think this is a film that I would typically choose or enjoy. Mm-hmm. Same. But it was just genuinely wild. Less wild than Slumber Party Massacre 2. <laughs> I mean, that's a high bar. Yeah. But like, it's it's like genuinely enjoyable. I think that this movie is very sure of itself and what it's doing, yeah. and it mm-hmm. is very well executed. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, it flopped like big time when it premiered. It had a budget of $15 million and it only made 12.8 at the box office. Oh, yeah. Um, I think part of that is because of that awful marketing campaign. Because it was pretty yeah. well received by critics. It's sitting right now, I think, with like an 86 on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty solid. And like I said, it has like a cult classic status nowadays. And I think it deserves it because I think this movie is good. I will say that the first time I watched it, I didn't really know how to react. And I was like, why did Natalie pick this? Like, it's definitely a Natalie movie. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I want to know why she picked this. But then the second time around, I was like, okay, like, I, you know, I can see this. And I actually didn't think I'd have much to talk about the first time I watched it. But now, you know, when I actually sat down to kind of think it through, I was like, there's a lot more going on here than I initially thought. So yeah. I was also kind of pleasantly surprised. I don't think I would pick this if I, you know, I wasn't doing this, but I had a good time. Honestly, that's one of my biggest reasons for picking this movie, because I think that even talking about the film in like a technical way or like the way it's written, I think it you could, we could have a good conversation about that. But I also know that this is not the kind of movie that you guys would watch organically. It was something <laughs> that I picked up randomly just like because I was bored and I thought it would be like a fun, like bad movie. And I ended up being really impressed by it. I've seen it like I think four times now mm-hmm. and every single time I watch it I thoroughly enjoy myself. This movie is just easy to watch for me and I think it's a really fun time and I think that everything from like the screenplay to the editing to the casting like it's it's honestly like a really well made and kind of like a perfect movie for like what it's trying to be. Yeah so this movie was written and directed by James Gunn. He is most famous for writing and directing both of the Guardians of the Galaxy movies. So there was his directorial debut. But he also wrote the 2004 Dawn of the Dead remake, which was pretty good. And he also wrote both of the live action Scooby-Doo movies. Oh my god, everything makes sense now. As somebody who liked both of the live action Scooby-Doo movies, I'm like not shocked. (laughs) Another fun fact about James Gunn is that he's actually married to Jenna Fisher. Oh, cool. I learned that today. I was like, what? That's that's awesome. Like... (laughs) Yeah, so that is really cool. The movie stars Nathan Fillion and Elizabeth Banks and Michael Rooker. Why is Michael Rooker always an asshole? I don't know, but he was perfectly cast. (laughs) I know, but it's like, I've seen him in The Walking Dead and Guardians of the Galaxy. I guess I haven't seen him in that much, but it's just like three times he's the big asshole. Yeah. What I like about the casting of this film, putting Nathan Fillion and Elizabeth Banks as the two big protagonists, it's cast like a comedy film in a lot of ways. These people are comedic actors who are being cast in a role that is funny. Like Heidi said, like we're not playing everything for laughs. I think mm-hmm. they, they were able to strike that tone really well because you have people who can carry the comedy through even in scenes where you normally wouldn't get it. To me, one of the things that makes the comedy of this movie work so well is that it's really ingrained in just the way these characters are. These people are just funny people. I think that that just works so effectively. A lot of the funniest scenes in this movie are just like throwaway lines of dialogue. Mm-hmm. And like that's why it works so well. It makes it so enjoyable, even when you're seeing like really disgusting, like viscerally upsetting things on screen. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Some of it's also like the editing, which we'll talk about, I think, while we're going through the summary, because there are a couple of scenes around like this is just edited really well to be effective. 
But I also think that lightheartedness really helps make it a little more... I don't think this movie's scary, but I think it could be scary to somebody. It's definitely gross. It's, like, really gross. (laughs) I'm so (laughs) hungry. I had the same reaction to it as I did watching The Fly for the first time, where I was like, oh, God, he's just going to keep looking worse. He comes, like, yeah, walking out into the forest, or he's, like, going after that cow when you see him for the first time, where he's actually looking monstrous. You're like, what the fuck is that? I don't think I've said this on this podcast yet. One of my favorite things in any horror-adjacent media is when somebody is presented with something that's just, like, fucking buck wild. And they take it so seriously and their answer is like, what the fuck is that? Like, what is happening? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So like when he shows up and they're like, what the fuck is going on? Like, they're not screaming. They're just like in genuine shock and are like, what is happening? Like, I love that in a movie. I think the chief just goes, holy fucking shit. Yeah. The old guy goes, that looks like something that fell off my dick. (laughs) Yeah. And I was like, love that. And I love that like when Michael Ruger is walking and all of that insane prosthetic whatever they have him in because it's practical at that point. Mm -hmm. It looks so funny watching him move. It's hilarious because it's just like wiggling around. (laughs) I'm like, what? Yeah. He's just got tentacles sprouting out. He's hobbling back and forth. It's so funny. That poor cow though. Yeah. felt bad for the cow. Also, all of the dogs that die in this movie. Yeah, yeah if, if you're not a fan of seeing dead animals, just like a trigger warning. Oh, boy. But yeah, like I said, this movie was not like it, it did not succeed when it was released. But I do think that people who like it now still do appreciate everything that it's doing. And I'm sure that we'll have more to say about that as we go further. I'm like really excited to talk about this though because it's such a different pick from like the other films that we Yeah, done. that was my goal. I was like, you know, let's do something that's like fun and kind of zany and just yeah. like, different, <laughs> but like still a good movie. There's not like layers and layers and layers of stuff they have to unpack. I, I like appreciate it. I'm excited. Mm-hmm. So before we get started, I guess I just want to preface all of this with saying that I think this movie's about two things, sex and power, and actually those things being one thing. The more I thought about it, we'll get into it. But I wrote down my notes, sex and power in all capitalized letters, because that's basically what I saw going on. Interesting. I don't know what this movie is about yet. (laughs) I was hoping our conversation would help me with that. Like, I've I've seen it four (laughs) times. I have thoughts on theme. No, I'm super stoked because like I said, I didn't think I was going to have much to say. And then I sat down and thought about it. And I was like, oh, I think there's more going on. There's definitely a lot going on here. So listeners. We talked about how we're going to do the summer for this episode, and we're going to try really, really hard to hold ourselves to doing it this way. The lovely Heidi has written us a long and more detailed summary of the film, and we're going to go through it and kind of talk point by point, which I think will be really effective for this kind of movie, because if you're listening to this and you've seen it, I would recommend watching it if you haven't watched it. The less that you know about this film, I think the more enjoyable it is to watch because you don't know what's happening. I would agree. Mm Mm-hmm. I would recommend watching it. We're going to go through point by point because a lot happens and it all kind of builds toward the end. So I think that going piece by piece through the summary of the film will be really effective to do it. And we also wanted to try to see if we can actually do that a little more strictly than we did when we were doing The Innocence because that was kind of all over the place. Yeah. (laughs) But like fun. If you guys don't like that, let us know what you do like. We'll, We'll work on it. We're doing our best here. We don't know what we're doing yet. We're still figuring it out. Okay, let's start with the summary. Heidi, take it away. Police Chief Bill Party and his older officer Wally are parked by the city limit sign of Wheelsey, South Carolina, a small town that has no idea what's just crash-landed in the forest, an asteroid hiding a spooky seed pod. The next day, Starla Grant, a high school teacher, gives a lesson on the true meaning of survival of the fittest. Hey, okay, can I just say this? Yeah. Right now? 
it feels like this movie followed a lot of structure I learned in film school, mm-hmm. and I appreciate that. It is literally, I started writing down while we were watching this when things started happening because I was like, this feels very formulaic and not necessarily in a bad mm-hmm. way. It just feels like it's tight. It's like a tightly constructed narrative. It's very, if, I, if I remember correctly, this is also during the time when Save the Cat became like a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, what? it's very structured. It's a book. It's a screenwriting book. After school, Starla is talking with a coworker when her husband, Grant Grant, rushes up and pulls her away, afraid he might be flirting with her. I love that they never actually call him Grant Grant, but like they always make fun of him. <laughs> I think one time they do, maybe. It's, it's once. Literally It's still once. so funny to me that they keep referencing the fact that his name is Grant Grant. <laughs> yeah. GG is written on the tree. Yeah, and they call him Grant. You don't know if they, and like, it's like Mr. Grant. And it's, like, it's just really funny. <laughs> yeah. Also, the, the person that she's talking to is James Gunn, the director of the film. Oh, I didn't know that. I, maybe I'm wrong. I'm like 95% certain that's James Gunn. I knew he had a cameo in this, but... It looks like James Gunn. I, I don't think I confirmed that, but I saw him and I was like, oh, that's James Gunn. So it became a fact in my mind. He is somebody named Hank. He is uncredited. It has to be him. It is such a director cameo role. It's like Twilight when Stephanie Meyer's sitting in the diner and they're like, oh, here's your order, Stephanie. Yeah, yeah I remember that scene. That happened? Yes, she's in the diner. She's in Twilight? Yeah, when Charlie yeah. and Bella... Yes, I remember their names. When Charlie and Bella are... Well, no, I I love Twilight. Well, let's not... No, I I don't actually love Twilight. I've seen... I have a past. (laughs) We all have a past with Twilight. Yes, but anyway, in the scene where they're eating at the diner, it's very quickly. Stephanie Meyer's sitting at the diner. They're like, here's your order. And she's like, oh, thanks. And then it cuts away from her. Yeah, they even, I think, say Stephanie. Anyway, I'm pretty sure that's him. No, that's James Gunn. Good job. Yeah, and that's also a very good scene to showcase Grant's jealousy, basically. She's just talking to another man and he's, no, no. You're mine. Get over here. I know what he wants to borrow and I ain't loaning it. Mm-hmm. Fully, I clocked it because I was curious. The first 10 minutes of this movie is all character development and like introducing us to the characters. He gets the thing in his chest at the 10 minute mark. You're saying he gets penetrated 10 minutes in the movie. It's 9.59 when he sees the, the goo in the forest and he follows it. And then the penetration. We gotta show full penetration. <laughs> full penetration? That was an It's Always Sunny reference. <laughs> That night, Starla rebuffs Grant's sexual advances and frustrated, he goes out for a walk to the local bar on karaoke night. He's approached by Brenda Gutierrez, who says she's been into him since she was like 10 years old. Can we just talk for like one second about how hilarious that cut to that woman singing in the karaoke (laughs) bar is? Yeah. (laughs) The crying. Yeah, exactly. That that was me trying to sing that. I was like, wow, me doing karaoke. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I actually... I want to go back to the scene where she basically, where she says no to having sex, because to me, that's like one of the most pivotal scenes in the film. It's not only like the catalyst for him going out and finding the the alien life form. To me, it's the point where there's a power shift between them and it becomes kind of a, a crisis for Grant because she's obviously like, no, I'm not in the mood. And he's trying to kind of switch her on and switch her into the mood. So he feels rejected and he senses the power shift. And then I think that's, you know, when he really starts to seek to regain and cement his power in the relationship and what ultimately mm-hmm. leads to him becoming the host for this life form. And that kind of ties into like my overall reading of the film. So I'll hold off. But to me, that was like a really, really important scene. I think it's interesting that the script has Grant say, no, we can't do this. I'm married. 
I don't know, because she's like, I've been into you since I was 10. I was then, Which is, like, fucked. Yeah. yeah. And he he's just kind of like, oh, but I think that also just kind of, like, establishes, like, how... Magnetic? Yeah. Is he, though? I don't think that's true. The first scene where we're introduced to Bill and his two cop friends. Yeah. I yeah. forget their names. Margaret, um, I think. Is Margaret one of them? It's Yeah, Margaret is the lesbian, and then there is the boy. And they're watching her the <laughs> and the boy deputy. All three of them are like, we don't understand why she's with him. Like, yeah. he's not attractive. He's rich. And that's the only reason she's with him. Like, Margaret kind of gets a little misogynistic and like she's a gold digger. Like, obviously, Bill, because like, you know, he's carrying a torch for Star That was like, such a funny line. The whole fucking movie is funny. When he's like, I mean, you don't understand. Like, imagine you're 17. Like, you're, you come from a really poor part of town. You don't have your parents. Mm-hmm. Like, it makes sense that she would end up getting with this he guy. for a college yeah. tuition yeah like yeah fuck mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah i don't really think that anybody is painting grant as a like sort of magnetic figure or somebody who is desirable i think that he is powerful in this town and i do think that he is respected but i get you get the vibe when brenda comes up that she's just trying to start something mm-hmm. because absolutely she wants right. to she probably she probably also senses that there's a bit of an opening because he's there yeah. at night by himself clearly having not mm-hmm. a great night so yeah she's probably like this is my opportunity yeah she's turning the gears good for her well mm-hmm. not really it doesn't end it well. does not end well for her. <laughs> but yeah so grant and brenda go out into the woods and they make out a moment before grant stops her and is like i can't you know starla's gonna be worried if i come home late like you've mentioned and then he sees the broken seed pot in the forest and goes to investigate he follows this gross trail that leads to a gelatinous thing with a stinger that shoots out and implants itself into his brain. The practical effects in that scene are really good. Yeah. He also calls her a piece of shit because her initials are BM, I guess, bowel movement. You're a piece of poop. Yeah. You're a bigger piece of poop. Straight up did not get that joke until just now. My little sister calls her dog turd. So every time I see that scene, all I can think about is like her talking to the dog, like, you little turd. <laughs> I'm like, stop. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) When Grant arrives back home, he grabs all the meat from the fridge and stockpiles it in the basement along with a leaf nest bed that he's made for himself. Um, That shot of him rolling around the leaves is so fucking funny. (laughs) So funny. It's like, get cozy, my man. Also, when he opens the fridge and he's like, meat. (laughs) Meat, 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 meat. I'm going to, every time I say meat meat in this now, I'm just going to go, meat. Drinking game. Every time he says meat, take a shot. (laughs) A drinking game every time we say meat. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. When he goes upstairs, he finds Starla waiting for him, and he cries as she tries to seduce him, and they eventually bang now that Starla senses a real change in him. Legitimate question. Why did he cry? It's his real person inside trying to get out, a la what happens in Get Out. (laughs) That's how I read it. I read it it as the first time anyone had, like, shown love to this alien creature. Mm -hmm. I think that's also fair. I think the film might be wanting you to think I that. Mean, it's, a, it's an alien creature that's done a lot of things, you know, in the past, and nobody's ever loved it. Well, I mean, it is systematically destroying planets, so I don't know who would love it, but... I think that it kind of comes down to how much of it is Michael Rooker, I mean, sorry, Grand Grant, and how much of it is the alien, you know what yeah. I mean? I mean, that's kind of a question throughout the whole film, though, is like, what's Grant? Grant is the alien. Like, they are now the same. It's also like, does Grant feel bad for having sex with Starla under false pretenses, which is, you know, a form of assault? Is it just like the alien is just so touched that she is like extending this kindness to him? That's definitely how I read it. 
I didn't know how to read it. And that was one of my questions. But now that you say these things, I, I don't know, like maybe it is because she definitely says he was exploring her body like he was a little boy, which was kind of strange. Yeah. yeah, the alien definitely had a good time. <laughs> uh, she she did too. That almost makes me think it's kind of like the, the alien's re- reaction to the situation. I still don't know, though. I don't know either. I like I've always read it as like Grant being like, oh, my God, she's going to do this with me. And there is something inside of me. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? I think that's a really sympathetic view of Grant. It is. I don't think that he's a good person, but I don't think that he wants Starla to get hurt, which is, I think, why the rest of the movie pans out the way that it does. The first time I watched this movie, this didn't happen the next time I watched it, but the first time I watched this movie, I read a lot of what happens later as the alien latching onto Grant's feelings for Starla. Which, even though he might not really respect her because he's not a great person, he's a misogynist, he does have feelings for her, obviously. I'm not saying that, like, he's a great guy for not sleeping with Brenda, but he doesn't sleep with Brenda. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And, like, he obviously does care about her on some capacity. So, like, I felt like the alien was just, like, amplifying feelings that were already there because the two of them have merged. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's fair. Yeah. And, like, on top of that, it's also, like, the alien being, like, wow, affection. Yeah. Yeah, it could be that. Going back to what you originally said, Natalie, it could also be that maybe he realizes that something has happened to him and that he's, like, not going to make it out of this okay. So maybe it's like, oh, this is one of like the last real times where we'll be able to be together before I kind of am like taken over by whatever just attacked me, kind of. Mm-hmm. So maybe that that kind of makes him emotional. Yeah, no, I get yeah. that. Hard to say, though. But I mean, I think both of those interpretations sound pretty valid. I also like that as soon as the next day when she goes to school and she's like in a good mood and she's like, Grant and I had a good morning this morning for the first time in a really long time. And then her friend's like, ooh, you slut. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a really cute scene. So yeah, well, well, Starla goes to work and she has that conversation. Grant goes out to buy a literal truck bed full of meat. And Grant is not good. He's eating animals. He's got these hives and odd rashes on his body. And as he's watching his wife shower, these two tentacle-like things come out of his chest. And he hurriedly stuffs them back into his chest (laughs) and says he has to go to the office, but really goes over to Brenda's house. The shot of him pushing the tentacles back into his shirt. This is when I wrote down predatory penis tentacles. Stop! And then I wrote, they come out when he sees Starla in the shower. And then I put, arousal? Question mark? (laughs) Like, is he's becoming aroused then these little penis tentacles are you know taking shape and and coming out that's interesting too because he says later on that he wanted to do it to her but didn't because he wanted to make sure she was safe so like it comes back to the whole like this is his nature like the first thing he wants to do when he's transforming is implant these things these worms Mm -hmm. into a host which he does with brenda the fact that the scene where he does like implant the worms into Brenda mm-hmm. is so like sexually charged, I think is interesting and really lends itself to your reading. I have things to say about that, but I'm waiting till we get there. Okay, well, I had one sentence. He tricks Brenda into thinking they'll have sex, but instead shoots his tentacles into her chest and pumps her full of alien eggs. No. That scene is so hard to watch. Makes Brenda a worm. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, he makes her a breeder, which is a very interesting choice of words. I wanted to talk about the way this scene is edited. Please. Because uh, yes. I love it. Oh, uh, Because yes. it's happening at the same time as the deer cheer, which is Wheelsy's party that celebrates the beginning of deer season because it's a hunting town. And you have the mayor, whose name is Jack McReady, who is played by Quinn Fabray's dad from Glee. And is also a reference to the thing. He's giving this like speech about how God said men should have dominion over every moving thing on the earth. 
basically saying like, you know, man is the apex predator and we're using our abilities to just like fucking kill animals. Mm -hmm. And while this is happening, like the music is building up and like there's like a lot of intensity. And then like the minute the tentacles appear and shoot into Brenda, that that guy starts singing at at the bar. It's actually it's right after the mayor goes hunting season's open. He says, let the hunt begin tentacles into the body cut to that guy singing this like really upbeat song and everybody dancing meanwhile brenda is basically seizing uncontrollably (laughs) i think that is so well done like i love the like setup the payoff and then the Mm -hmm. tonal disconnect that makes it all a little more like oh my god (laughs) it's it's probably the best sequence of the film to be honest i disagree with that but uh we'll get to that later so I definitely liked the way how the cross cuts happen. Um, definitely yeah. between like the mayor's speech and him essentially raping Brenda. So mm-hmm. I, you know, when he's talking about how God gave man dominion over all living things, it's like showing the Brenda's baby and like showing Brenda and like mm-hmm. just different shots like that. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like giving this idea that, as Natalie kind of mentioned. That it's like natural for men to seek dominance over other people yeah. um, and over animals too. So in that case, definitely in that scene, Grant represents like predatory men whose violence is like attributed to their quote nature. So it's definitely like kind of speaking to the boys will be boys mentality. And definitely Mm -hmm. how the scene is filmed. I mean, what's happening in it is linking in my mind sex and power. So like Mm -hmm. those two, to me, like I'll explain this later, but it comes back to those two ideas. Um, and for mm-hmm. me, that scene really hits home with how they're linked. I also like really like the kind of like hunting natural selection animal theme mm-hmm. in this movie. I think that it really emphasizes the importance of humanity. Obviously, like we're dealing with a movie that has zombies in it. So that's like part of the reason <laughs> why. But also I like that in the deer cheer scene, um, we're getting a little more character development. We're getting a little more build up between Bill and Starla. And Bill says to Wally, I don't understand why you would want to shoot something with, in the face of a gun. Like basically we're seeing Bill kind of posited as like this like manly character who is the sheriff of this town and who like is a good guy but doesn't condone hunting animals you know what I mean like Mm -hmm. there is a humanity and a morality in that that isn't seen in the other male characters of the film for the most part Mm -hmm. the other thing I wanted to mention about the hunting and meat motifs is that it had me thinking about this whole meat is an anagram for team uh sorry that was a (laughs) shot of the dead reference (laughs) So yeah, this this, had me thinking a lot about like killing and eating meat. Um, And culturally, it's associated with strength and virility and masculinity. So like, he's basically going around injecting these, I like to call them sperm worms into other people kind of represents his virility. So he's eating meat. And that's kind of, you know, associated with that. But then you also have rotting meat, like his basement, I refer to it as the rotten man cave, because it's like rotting meat is like something that's universally abhorrent and repulsive. On one hand, you have the idea that meat is associated with strength and masculinity. Other hand, you have rotting meat. His rotten man cave is like a place where he's supposed to like hold his domain. It's the man cave. I guess he doesn't Mm -hmm. really refer to it as that, but that's how I think of it. But it like houses these secret horrors. So it's kind of like both sides of the coin. That's interesting. I like how you saw that in such a gendered way, because I think that's really interesting. Because I definitely see it, but I was looking at it more in terms of animal instincts versus humanity like a nature versus nurture situation i think one thing that really stuck out to me in terms of that thematic thread in the scene with brenda is when she opens the door and she's like wow i thought you were dead and he was like i am dead don't i look it it's interesting that they put that line of dialogue in there 
A, because it's like, oh, it's a joke, but also because he is actively stepping away from his humanity when he yeah. chooses to do this to Brenda. Like, mm-hmm. he kept that with Starla, but he steps away and does this atrocious yeah. act to Brenda and distancing yeah. himself from his, like, human impulses. Obviously, his relationship with Starla is, like, the the thing keeping his human impulses intact. Mm-hmm. But even then, like, it's so bastardized from what it once was. Yeah, and he becomes, like, thinking about his physical transformation, he becomes more monstrous physically as his relationship with Starla weakens. He looks so rough when we see him next. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I was about to say that. Grant continues to get worse. Oh, boy. his condition on a bee sting and claims he's seen the doctor and is being treated. But after learning he lied about seeing the doctor, Starla breaks into the basement and sees animals hanging from the ceiling. I wanted to say, before we get any further, that she breaks the lock to the basement at the 30-minute mark of the movie. I was like, you know what? This is exactly, like, 100% we are being economical. 30 minutes in, the lock is breaking, we're moving on to phase two. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're crossing the threshold. We are getting a new protagonist or like a new character we're following because I would yeah. I would argue that at this point we've been following Grant and at this point we start following mm-hmm. Starla. Yeah. yeah, and she starts to take on more agency as she's like, "What the fuck is going on?" I think that Starla is more of a main character in this film than Bill is. Oh, for sure. Even though Bill is kind of posited as the hero of the movie, and I like Nathan yeah. Fillion does an amazing job, so like totally valid. But this is really Starla's story. She should have run off to Hollywood because she's a star. Starla calls Chief Party, urging him to return to the house after he stopped by to see if Grant knows anything about Brenda's disappearance. And Grant overhears this call and goes into a jealous rage, trying to stick his tentacles into her chest and strangle her. And he's stopped by Chief Party and other officers arriving, and he runs off. Okay, we gotta, we gotta, there's a couple (laughs) of things. One, him in the window. Oh my god. (laughs) Classic. Two, the arm. (laughs) The, the the arm the cgi in this movie is not amazing it's not no. but i get why they had to do it for the effects that they're making i love how he runs away and like his arm hits the wall or something <laughs> genuinely it's so fucking funny like i laugh every single time because like suddenly the arm is practical and just wax that door <laughs> I mean, it, it reminds me of like how funny that scene is in like Alien when you when you finally see it like walking towards them and it's you can tell it's just yeah. on <laughs> you work with what like, you have. Like it doesn't take you out of the narrative at all. Like it's not like it's that bad of no. an effect because it's like it's a right. decent effect. It's but it's just it just looks so hilarious. Like he's just like so funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, and then we the man cave I was referring to is revealed. So mm-hmm. she has a legitimate reaction of. Oh my god, this is fucking gross, and just runs away. I also really, really liked that all of the animals were labeled in the basement. (laughs) I was about to say that. Coyotes. I appreciate his organization, though. What a weird birthday present. We get that that moment where Bill's like, what the fuck was that? (laughs) Yeah. He has a couple of those moments. They're always good. They're always so (laughs) well-earned. And then, okay, and then we get, we're, like, in the next scene, because Heidi's gonna mention it right now, but, like, we get, like, the funniest running joke of the middle of this movie, which is the squid thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my god, I didn't talk about the squid thing at all, Okay, so I'll just explain it very quickly. So they're looking for him now because he had a weird arm and he tried to kill Starla. And they're getting reports that animals are being stolen from nearby farms on the edge of town. And they keep calling him a squid. And there's this really funny scene where the the mayor comes in and says that he just has Lyme disease. <laughs> because he doesn't want to admit that something really weird is going on. And everyone's like, does Lyme disease make you look like a squid? 
And then there's like the little squid uh, stuffed animal, and then they have like they have the fucking baby. squid yeah. stickers on the farm that he attacked. Yeah, it's so funny, it's and it's like I get it because like you don't know how to process what's happening, so you're just like, okay, squid man. Yeah, they say something about they're gonna take the little beanie baby door to door and as use it as like a police sketch to yeah. see if people have seen it oh god it's just so much it's so that scene is so good it's so funny and you really get a kind of vibe of like what the dynamic is at in terms of this town like the mayor is kind of overbearing and neglectful and the police officers are just doing the the sheriffs are just doing the best that they can but they've obviously never dealt with something like this before (laughs) Mm -hmm. i mean and like starla when chief party and i think Mm -hmm. it's wally come to the house and they're like you know nobody's seen brenda since friday and grant was the last one to see her and she's like in our town Mm -hmm. the thought of homicide has never crossed her mind and that's actually why she breaks into the basement is like is he hiding a dead body in our basement i like the emphasis on like small town vibes that this movie tries to put across especially like we didn't really talk about this but in the beginning of the film that like that extended sequence where we're just like looking through the town with the camera and we're just like seeing the people Mm -hmm. and everyone's just like living their lives like Mm -hmm. i like that because it really did emphasize like hey this is just like a small little like kind of rural town they don't know what's coming to them (laughs) they also there's like this the song playing in the background something about like a sad world which i thought was an interesting song choice and it's like looking very gloomy and kind of depressing honestly but Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. yeah oh one more thing i wanted to add about starla breaking into that basement i like really loved that moment like the more that i think about it like as soon as she hears that there might be a dead person she just goes to investigate and i I feel like it's kind of like a a comment on you know when they like interview serial killers wives or whatever and they're like i had no idea like she, she's determined. I not mean, to be she that was suspicious. Like, I'm gonna find out from the start where she was like, "My birthday's in two months. Like you bullshitting me right now." Yeah, but you know, yeah. she doesn't want to challenge him too much because he's an overbearing, controlling person. So. I mean, yeah. she even admits later on, like she's like, "I saw something was happening, and I didn't want to admit that it was happening." And then she gets to yeah. a point where mm-hmm. she's like, "I can't avoid this anymore. He lied to me. Yeah. This is not good." <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. and she also kind of blames herself a little bit. Like I should have. Like, I knew that something was wrong with him. I should have gotten him help sooner or something like that. It's, like, mm-hmm. it's okay. Like It's been, like, two days. Like, yeah. What were you going to do? And, like, honestly, like, if somebody looked at like that and I was in front of them, I don't know what I would say to <laughs> So, like... <laughs> uh, yeah. Three days go by, and they still haven't found Grant, but they're getting reports that he's stealing animals from farms. And Chief Party in the department, along with a few volunteers stage a stakeout at another farm they assume will be Grant's next target. Chekhov's red herring hand grenade. (laughs) Oh yeah. Yeah. Also they're tracking him with little squid stickers. I think you mentioned that. It's just so good. It needs to be mentioned again. (laughs) Starla goes along with them to be sure that they can bring Grant in alive in order to find Oh I also really liked this interaction because she's like I need to go help you guys and they're like you're a civilian? Like it's not you're a woman. It's Mm -hmm. you're a civilian. I can't I'm not, th- mm-hmm. that's not correct. Like, I'm not supposed to bring you. Mm-hmm. And she has to basically mm-hmm. convince them to let her come because she's the only one who's ever gotten through to Grant, which I think is, like, valid. And they do make it, they make it make sense and contextualize it pretty well in the film. So I thought that was really good. Yeah. And she really, like, hinges it upon, if you want to bring him in alive, you need to mm-hmm. take me with you. And that is, if you want to get Brenda and back. It's definitely, like, you can tell that both Wally and Bill do respect her. And they're not just, like, thinking that she will be dead weight. They're just, like, con- genuinely concerned about her safety mm-hmm. because, like, she's a civilian. So, like, I like that. I thought that was good. 
they definitely build those that she can take care of herself mm-hmm. and like knows mm-hmm. how to protect herself. It's just, yeah, like you said, it's it's just not a place that she ne- should be. Yeah, cops don't bring civilians to things on purpose. Like <laughs> they actually they bring those two volunteers. Mm. That's true. Well, that's and true. The, the guy who mouths so it's off. Not, it's, it, yeah, it's it's not necessarily. I think that it's just because she's a civilian. I think it's also because Grant yeah. attacked her. Right. Like that's how they found. That's how they found her. Was he was trying to strangle her? So I think it's 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 definitely for her safety. And I think it also it could be maybe that she is a she is a woman who's not a deputy. That's fair. Yeah. Like, I'm just but like you know, they also there. like the way they said round up a posse, do it. It makes it sound like that's something that they do yeah. a lot. You know, so like mm-hmm. the men they're bringing out are like hunters. Like they know what they're doing to some extent. Like yeah. Starla's not out in the woods with a gun every day. No, she's a lady now. After a long night of the stakeout, they finally see Grant approaching, and he is grotesque. Mm-hmm. He looks like a slug with tentacles coming out. And of they his wiggle. Head. And they wiggle. It kind of reminds me of like pool noodles. Yeah. Grant kills a cow with one strike of his tentacles and starts to drag it off. And Starla runs out to him. And she tries to convince him she won't leave him, but her attempt is ruined by a volunteer who jumps out and threatens Grant. And Grant cuts him literally in half. And the police try to shoot him, but Grant slithers away. Slither. Slither. They track him back to a shed where they find Brenda, who has swollen to an unbelievable size oh, and complains about how hungry she is. Like, imagine, just for, like, a visual reference for people listening, if you haven't seen this movie. Like, imagine Violet in Willy Wonka, yes. but, like, a million times worse. Also not clothed? I mean, you can't really tell. Well, she ripped out of her clothes. Yeah. I mean, you can't really, there's no, like, identifiable features. She's just a ball. Other than her voice. But, yeah. yeah. And she's, like, losing some hair, which is really sad, too. Her hair is, like, thin. Because, like, yeah. her skin is stretching so much. She's not having a good time. Yeah. She's not having a good time. As they're all standing there, her body seems to, like, convulse or, like, ripple. And then, finally, she rips Oof. apart and out come an unbelievable number of tadpole-like They're like little worms. slugs. Yeah. Sperm worms. Like tongues. The worms immediately try to crawl into people's mouths and leave several officers and volunteers dead. The worms then scatter, many crawling to the nearby farmhouse where a young woman, Kylie, is taking a bath. It's the scene from the poster. This is my favorite sequence in the film. Mm. I I don't think it's edited as well as the other I, one, though. That's why I said that. I agree with that, but like the reason why I like it so much is A, I am a sucker for anything that even moderately references an Amaron Elm Street. And the scene does that. <laughs> yeah. And two, I like how we saw Kylie in the opening credit, the opening yes. character intro part, right? For like one second. She's like rolling her eyes at the horny boys. We know so much about her within five minutes of this first scene. Yeah. Like that dinner with her, with her family. Yeah, like, like she has those like beautiful nails that were done by one of her friends. The character development of this one character so quickly, I think is just so impressive. And I like really, really like it. And I also really like just like the cadence of the scene overall. I like the shot of the worm on the window. I like it when it gets in the water and like kind of swims towards her. <laughs> I like how she rips it out with the nails and then kills mm-hmm. it with the curling iron mm-hmm. and then all of this happens and then she gets outside and she's just looking for her mom and then her mom vomits blood on her face yeah like thanks mom yeah, yeah. it really feels like carrie <laughs> it's like like oh, she, kinda, literally yeah. it's just like something it's like one thing right after the other it's like six minutes the scene is like six minutes long and it's just like really well done yeah. so two things about that one i love how her little sisters are reading goosebumps like that right? is a <laughs> yeah, perfect that little really touch fun. two 
the reason I call them sperm worms is because the way it swims toward her in the bathtub, yeah. like it looks like a little sperm swimming at her. It does. So absolutely. I like that the mayor just like actively says that like the alien wants to stick a cock in its mouth because you know what those really do yeah. look like when they're getting up in there. Like, <laughs> yeah. And he's like, what kind of thing wants you to eat? Yeah. It? But I do, I like this sequence with Kylie a lot because it shows that A, like Kylie is capable of taking care of herself. We get to know Kylie really quickly. We get to see some like genuine like scares in that moment. Like when her family comes up to the car, like that's creepy. Mm -hmm. And like the the little girl, the acting of the little girl on the driver's side door is really good in that scene. (laughs) (laughs) It's so I love her so much. They also look like they're like slightly drunk. Like the way they stumble around. Like I know it's supposed to be like zombie walking basically, but Mm -hmm. it's like, it's really stilted. Mm -hmm. Like the body horror of it is pretty good too. Like the way that they all look fucked up now Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because there's like blood all over them and they're like already like growing shit on their bodies like the the bumps they get on them kind of look like the bumps from the brood oh yeah that's a good point but yeah i i really like the sequence i think it's just like Mm -hmm. really intense and high stakes one of the worms manages to crawl into kylie's mouth and gives her a vision of this alien destroying life on another planet and fusing all of these rat-like creatures together as well as some images of Grant and other, like, recent memories from him. And she manages to pull the worm out of her mouth with her nails, like Natalie had mentioned, and then flees the house as her family are taken over by the worms. Back at the cabin, those who died have come back to life, speaking like Grant. The alien-infected zombies are all part of a hive mind. Starla and the mayor run for their lives from the infected and run into Chief Party and Kylie. When they get into town, the worms have already beaten them there. Oh, wait. The town is entirely infected. We need to clarify that there was no Mr. Pibb for the mayor. <laughs> and that he got very upset about it. There is no Mr. Pibb. <laughs> I will just say this now. I do not really talk about the mayor. And that's because I I just later I want to talk about his character. Oh, he's a terrible person. So if you, yeah, if you notice that I don't talk about the mayor, that's intentional. I liked that scene with the Mr. Pibb solely because like there was part of me that was like, yeah, I get it. Like, <laughs> like, have you ever like had a really bad day and then like gotten food and they got your order wrong and then you cried? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Like that's how I, that's how I like took that scene. And what I liked the most about it is that like he had his little moment and then everyone was like, um, okay, I'll get right on that. Like, what do you want me to fucking do? <laughs> Right. Yeah. I also really do like that shot of Elizabeth Olsen impaling that one zombie. Banks. Elizabeth Banks. Sorry. I was talking about WandaVision earlier. Elizabeth Banks impaling that one uh zombie and then the mirror just going, bitch is hardcore. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So he's definitely there to be the most comedic, but he's also a piece mm-hmm. of shit, basically. Oh, I also, I didn't mention this either. I like really like just like the little snippets of dialogue. So like when they find Brenda in the shack thing and Mm -hmm. Bill is like, okay, we're just going to get you to a hospital. And then the mayor is like, what are they going to do with her in a hospital, Bill? And he's just like, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 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 That scene was also like, we didn't really talk much about that scene, but it was also just incredibly visceral and just poor Brenda. I don't even know what else to say. And the shot of Michael Rooker in the window. And then like hobbling yeah. off. And then they're like, oh, like he led us here. Bastard led us here. And I'm like, he looks so funny. <laughs> yeah. And then she's like, these little fuckers are tearing me apart. It was just mm-hmm. very disturbing. The other really good line that I liked in the car, like after Bill and Kylie get into the car, like right before Elizabeth Banks just fucking wrecks that zombie. 
Bill goes, my easygoing nature is getting really, getting sorely fucking tested. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I have lots of one-liners like that. I was like, this is good. I like this. What did you think when you first discovered that the zombie who was talking to her was like, was Grant talking through him? How did you like react to that? It made me think of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Same. Same. I like the Invasion of the Body Snatchers. So I didn't, I was like, cool. That's, I I get what's happening Mm -hmm. now. Like, (laughs) I really like that scene between quote unquote Wally and Starla, though. I like the way Mm -hmm. that Elizabeth Banks played the realization of realizing it's him. I Mm -hmm. liked the interaction. Like, I, I, it's just like a really weird scenario to be in. And it was a really good way Mm -hmm. to kind of cue us into like, this is the next phase of the infection. Now we're dealing with zombies. And then the way that, the way that poor Margaret dies, that was, oh. That was yeah. not good. Yeah, then they spend the rest of the film like dodging that acidic spit or whatever it is. Which is like a good comedic beat also. Yeah, I like all of that. And it's definitely like, you know, it changes the way that Starla approaches the situation because now she knows that if Grant is essentially controlling these people, that the way to get to him is, I don't know, you don't really necessarily get the sense that she's in danger. These people aren't really going after her in the sense that they're not going to kill her. But like, yeah. She starts to kind of figure out how to work against them to get to Grant. Yeah. yeah, they're definitely going after her, but it doesn't seem like it's to it's to hurt her. Because there's that, that moment when Party and Kylie come up upon them. Starla and the mayor are running and there's like zombies behind them and the mayor falls and the zombies just run right past her after Starla. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also did want to just like point out like after the car crashes and then there's like this like shot of the Jesus saves sign yeah. that they ran into. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I was like what a good small town nod. Love that so much. So yeah, when they arrive into the town, a big truck plows into the car and Starla and the mayor are taken captive while Chief Party and Kylie manage to escape. The two hatch a plan, the two being Chief Party and Kylie, hatch a plan to steal a grenade from the police office before trying to rescue Starla. Starla wakes up in her home, dressed in a nightgown. I don't like that the zombies dress her. Yeah, and it's the same nightgown that she was wearing when she was like yes. getting it on with fresh alien yeah. grant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, it just makes me uncomfortable in movies and TV shows where people wake up and they're dressed by somebody else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially creepy zombies. Yeah. And also, the song is playing. Mm-hmm. You're every woman. And you see the little tentacle kind of slither up yeah. and press the play button. They knew what they had with that. That was in the trailer. They, they put way too much of this movie in the trailer. <laughs> yeah. Don't even get me started on trailers. Trailers these days. Just give away the whole fucking movie. If I were creating a trailer, I would either just make it about the first half hour of the movie, mm-hmm. or I would make it that extended slug scene. Yeah, but then how are you going to know exactly what yeah. happens so you know whether or not you want to see it? I have to know exactly what happens in a movie to determine if I want to spend time on it. Okay, that's it. <laughs> that's, my, that's my tirade. <laughs> What did I watch a uh, trailer for yesterday? I don't know. But I was like, there's no point in seeing this movie. I now know exactly what happens. There's no mystery. There's no like, I don't know. This is why I just stopped watching trailers. Like I just stopped watching them. Mm -hmm. Like to the point where it's annoying people around me. Like I'm like, I don't want to watch it. (laughs) I mean, there are some trailers that do a really good job of like just giving you the vibe of the movie and not telling you a lot. Granted, lots of times those are like indie horror films. I think they're doing it right. But yeah, most of the time it's just like, here's, I don't know. I don't know if people need to know the entire plot line of a movie to figure out if they want to invest no. their time in it. But to me, that kind they of don't. ruins it. I think they just want yeah. people to go see it. So they put all the good stuff in the trailer. And I don't like that. Yeah, that ruins I it. I like 
to be surprised. My favorite thing that they used to do is they would put deleted scenes in the trailer. I don't like that mm. because then I expect something and it's not there. That's true. It, it, it sucks when it's when you're like, oh man, I was looking forward to that moment. But like, yeah. I appreciate the red herrings sometimes. Mm-hmm. Anyway. So yeah, Starlet's dressed in her nightgown. And she breaks off a part of her hairbrush to use as a makeshift shiv and heads back down the stairs to find Grant, who is now a monstrous tentacled beast with several people fused onto him who serve as his mouthpieces. So fucking He reminds wild. me of Jabba the Hutt. Yeah. Yes. That's immediately what I thought. Like Jabba the Hutt, but if he was made of silly putty. Yeah. That's good. And there's like four heads on yeah. him. Yeah, and they're like people with boils and stuff just like mm-hmm. falling onto the flesh pile and <laughs> fusing. It's really gross. Yeah. But he's like huge now. Yeah, he's taking up like the whole living room. He's looking real rough. I love that part where he's like reaming her about like not accepting him. And she's like, well, you have to give me some time to make an adjustment. There's, <laughs> you have to give me some time for adjustments. There have been a lot of changes. As he's slowly like wrapping his tentacle around her in a threatening and way. He, yeah. And he looks like some melted silly putty job of the hut. And she's like, there have <laughs> yeah. been a lot of changes. Yeah. What do you think about him having like posted all of the pictures of them on the wall? It was like a gesture, like he's still trying. He did a real good job rating, baby. <laughs> like his humanity is still slightly there, or... Yeah. Maybe he's trying to get her to remember all the good times that they had together so that she'll come back yeah. to him and forget about Chief Party. Part of him that was humanity is not like really humanity anymore. It's just like an obsession yeah. with Starla. It's become mm-hmm. something else. It's become something selfish in a lot of ways. Like he just wants yeah. the way that she makes him feel. He doesn't care about her, really, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I, I think that he's really just trying to assert control over her. Because I kind of saw the whole, like, zombie hive mind thing as sort of like, as he's losing control over her and he feels scorned and betrayed, he's trying to control others in order to kind of regain or reclaim mm-hmm. control over her. So, like, he's increasing his mm-hmm. influence and his power. He's asserting his dominance kind of in a way. And then, like, I kind of saw the bodies fusing together as, like, he has that line where he says, I'll keep growing until I'm everywhere, until I'm all that is. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. kind of like, I'm yeah. going to become your world, whether you like it or not, like in a very threatening way. Yeah. Which is cool in a sense, though, too, that the, the people just come up and like fuse with him. <laughs> it's like they're receiving some sort of satisfaction from it. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> the sexual nature of all of it. I will say for the record, the last like 25 minutes of this movie are my least favorite part of the movie. I think that it does okay. Like, it ends it, but I just don't think the ending is as compelling as the rest of the film. I think that after the deer scene yeah. at the police station or the sheriff station, it lags a little bit for me, even though it's only it's only a 25-minute scene, like, mm-hmm. a 25-minute ending. Like, they're doing a lot in a small amount of time, but I'm still like, man. Yeah. So, yeah, Starla goes down there, and she tries to endear herself to Grant again, convincing him she will continue to be a good wife and support him. However, as she gets close to him, she stabs him with this makeshift shiv. And he whacks her away as Chief Party and Kylie storm into the house. I like that they had her do that. But what I don't like about it is that it feels like from the beginning is she's just set up for failure. Like you see how big he is. You're like, there's no way that that what she's going to do is going to amount to anything. And it doesn't. Unless she hits the right spot. Mm -hmm. I mean. She goes for his like. His jugular. But like, how do you even know like what's underneath all of that? Anatomically, it's not (laughs) normal. So. I mean. Normally, that would be a good place to go. So I think that says something about her capabilities. It's just, this is an alien. 
I like the sentiment of it, but like maybe it's it's also because I've seen it so many times, so I know what happens at the end. So maybe that also might be part of the read. But like I'm just like that's not gonna do anything. It's a hairbrush. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like what else does she have though? Like what other shot? Yeah, does she really have? I like that she tries, and I really like her playing him. I think that that always is good. Yeah, yeah. He's just so lonely. Ugh. Yeah, his loneliness is what causes him to be a monster. My loneliness is killing me. <laughs> anyway, so Chief Party's in the house now. Chief Party in the house. <laughs> yeah. Uh, he tries to throw the grenade, but it's knocked out of his hand and then eventually out of the house along with him and it falls into the pool and it goes off. I loved that. I loved that. My favorite moment of the whole film. It gets film is when knocked out of his hand and then he goes and he finds it and then it gets shoved out again and it falls in the pool. I mm-hmm. love that. <laughs> So good like it's not gonna be that easy and then his face when it blows up in the pool <laughs> yeah <laughs> you only get one shot do not miss your chance to blow this opportunity comes once in a lifetime sorry <laughs> we've got to be stopped two tentacles lash out at chief party and one sticks into him and he fights the other off until he can jab it into a propane tank which is conveniently there also he would not be able to do that the gas fills grant up as chief party is pulled into the house Starla shoots Grant, and the propane ignites and explodes Grant from the inside. Outside, the townsfolk who were infected drop dead, leaving only Chief Party, Starla, and Kylie alive. And they walk out of town together into the sunset to go find help. I do like that everyone dies. I think that that is (laughs) nice. Well, that actually brings me to a question. So, obviously, at the beginning of the film... Starla mentions survival of the fittest. Yes. And she talks about how like humans think that they're the apex predator, like we'd said, but they haven't been around as long as like cockroaches. What do you think makes Kylie and Starla and Bill Party the the fittest to survive? Because they're the only three that do. I definitely think that the movie posits them as smarter than the people around them. I would agree with that. I, I know Starla's playing the game. She is using yeah. her relationship with Grant to her advantage. Kylie's Mm -hmm. intelligent. She's resourceful. Like, they're all very resourceful. Bill is definitely, like, he's going with the flow and doing what he needs to do. You know what I mean? Like, he's not overly... He's not freaking out. He's keeping his calm. Mm -hmm. When she's giving that lesson, she says, like, the fittest doesn't necessarily mean the strongest or the smartest or whatever. It's, like, it's the organism that's most well-suited to its environment. So kind of going along with that, it's like maybe these are the people who are most adaptable, are able to think on their feet and and really use the resources mm-hmm. that are around them in order to like help them out in any situation. Like Kylie uses her nails. It's also interesting to note too that like Starla and Kylie are two characters that we know that have appreciation for the world outside of Wheels. Mm-hmm. Starla wanted to go to Hollywood and wanted Bill to come with her, but he ratted her out. And then, you know, Kylie's like, foreign culture is classy, which is a little bit yikes, <laughs> but at least she's not racist like her family. <laughs> yeah. I really like Kylie as a character. And I like that both Car- Kylie and Starla are not non-essential to this film. Like, both of them have really pivotal scenes that really make them necessary to creating the ending that we see. And they're both also taking care of themselves and like being actually powerful actors in each scene. Like Kylie saves Bill's yeah. life. She's also like a big source of information. And sometimes I'm like, how does mm-hmm. she know this? I guess it's, I assume it's because she was able to see things when she was kind of semi taken yeah. over. 
But at the end, she's like, you know, he didn't have two of those things in him, so he's okay. And they're like, oh, thank God. Like, Kylie knows. Yeah. I also really enjoy that the film allows basically the two female characters to be the ones that really, like, save everything. Because, like, Bill wouldn't have made Mm -hmm. it without both of them there. No, not at all. And it affords them that agency while also, like, not minimizing Starla specifically, even though she is a more Mm -hmm. traditionally feminine character who, like, wants to be a good wife. (laughs) What do you think, giving the the women, like, so much power in this film, like, how does that relate to, Laura, you were saying, like, sex and power? Because there's not a lot of sex that happens in this film, except for, like, those two times. Other than like the obvious sexual nature of the tentacles. Yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I can I can explain what I mean by that if that would be a good time right now. So, okay. So there's a Janelle Monet song called Screwed. And she has a line. Song. She has a line in there where she says, everything is sex except sex, which is power. Which I was like thinking about the whole time I watched this the second time around. Because like I said earlier, I think that pivotal scene where Starla says no to sex, you know, Grant thinks she's rejecting him is where we see like in his mind the power has shifted to her side he feels like he has to regain that power over her and so he sprouts these tentacles he starts proliferating and disseminating these sperm worms and then like basically ejaculating everywhere like i was like this movie is basically about him creating sperm worms and ejaculating his seed everywhere if he doesn't create the worms he eats them right yeah like they just like fuel him. and like in doing that the that's the way he obtains power by like creating breeders and everything mm-hmm. but it's all done in a very metaphorically sexual way and to me that underscored mm-hmm. the link between sex and power and how the fact that it all started because she didn't want to have sex with him one night speaks to that like mm-hmm. dynamic between you know who's having sex who's not who's kind of giving consent and who's not and then what that says about who has power mm-hmm. in a relationship And then we have the parallel scene at the end where the zombie's prepping her for sex, even though not really. She's dressed that way. She then confronts the all-powerful Grant. And now it's kind of like, well, who has the power now? Like, obviously, Mm. he does. So that's what I kind of mean when I say I see a lot of, like, those two themes in the movie. There's also, like, a lot to be said, I think, about the role of ego and how male ego specifically is kind of like a downfall for some of the characters in the film. Mm -hmm. Like the mayor. That's what happens with Grant. You know what I mean? Like the fact that Kylie and Starla are in a lot of ways just trying to do their best and not like assuming that they know better is and like also Bill, like Bill's the same way. Like they're just like, just trying to survive. And Mm -hmm. I think that that lends them a lot of ability and adaptability to handle themselves. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in your notes, I saw that you thought that the mayor's death was meaningless and the mayor's death is one of my favorite scenes in the movie. (laughs) I, okay. So like, here's the thing, like, I think this movie could have been done without the mayor. Like, straight up. He added nothing to this film for me. Like, every time he was on screen, I was like, why are you here? Like, what do you guys think about him? I honestly think that his loudness and brashness was partially funny, but also I kind of thought acted as a pretty strong foil to what we see in Bill. So I think that having the mayor around made Bill seem more like a good guy, which I appreciate because it did highlight that, like, he is a good person. And you get like a lot of scenes of Bill like making little jokes or comments when people say things that are kind of like not exactly nice. There's that throwaway line when they're talking about the farms and they have the squid stickers up and they said like at the Castavet's farm or whatever, the guy with the cleft palate. And then Wally goes, he looks like a chipmunk. Mm -hmm. And then Bill goes, well, your mother wasn't too happy when you came out either. You know what I mean? He's like a good dude. Like he's not like 100% the best person in the world, but like he cares about people. 
to me, the mayor kind of represents the the character who's not as capable as the others. And by that, I mean, like, you know, you have these very strong characters like Bill and Kylie and Starla who are very capable mm-hmm. of taking care of themselves in like in a situation like this. And he's just bumbling along, kind of representing like like how a typical person would be reacting to what's going on, like just very unsure and just scared shitless the whole time. Like he cares about what's happening to the town and, and like how people are perceiving the town because of all of this. So he's just like, I guess represents that interest and is just kind of like there mm-hmm. because I don't know, to be there, to be someone who's like a voice to the disbelief that other people would have, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes I also sense. really, really like that death scene. I love him. She's like, Bill, please shoot me. And he just does it. Like, mm-hmm. No hesitation. <laughs> He's like, okay. It's funny, but like the mayor doesn't do anything for the whole movie except whine about not having Mr. Piv mm-hmm. and, you know, just being horrible. I, I think that that horribleness, though, is a method of showcasing like the themes that we're seeing in the film through other characters while not making the other characters be bad people. You know what I mean? Like, you see a lot of Mm -hmm. the hubris and, like, the male ego that I talked about before in The Mayor. Mm -hmm. And you see a lot of the, like, you know, I know what I'm doing. I'm going to be, I'm not going to care about the other people around me. Yeah. In The Mayor. And he does really, like, assert himself into situations, too. Like, he shouldn't be on that stakeout, Mm -hmm. but he's there anyway. Yeah. Yeah, How'd you feel about the scene where he's in the basement with the people, with the other breeders who are chowing down on meat? My favorite part is that that lady is like chasing him up the stairs. She's like, you damn Republican. I thought that was hilarious. I was like genuinely surprised (laughs) that he's just eating a person. He just starts chewing on someone's arm. Yeah, it's because he's now an alien. So he's now eating people. Yeah, I guess I just thought they were mostly eating animals. Well, that's what they had at first. Yeah. I liked that scene in in a horror kind of way because I liked seeing what that was like. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. And I do think that there's like some scariness in that yeah. idea of knowing that you're going to have to eat that dead body. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I would agree. I thought that was like a good like horror scene. Yeah. And while we're talking about body horror, do you guys want to like talk about that? Because this, this film is, I would say, a lot more disgusting yeah. than The Brood. Oh, yeah. oh, for sure. The Brood is like a Cronenberg film. We always associate it with him with body horror. But that was like pretty calm it was tame. in comparison. To yeah. Me. It's very, very muted. Yeah. Yeah. And The Brood is using its body horror for a reason. Like it's externalizing the internal. What do you guys think is like going on here with Slither? Is it just to be gross? Is it just for the effect of being like a B-movie? I think that it is enhancing the loss of humanity Mm -hmm. in these characters. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think that, I mean, not that I'm like an expert on body horror or anything, but based on what I've seen, there are different like types of transformations that occur. A lot of times you get, like in The Brood, the the body horror is kind of like symptomatic of some sort of psychological ailment that's going on at the same time. But, But it's not like a total transformation. It's just like bits and pieces that are abnormal. Yeah. But this is like, a, yeah, a total physical transformation. Yeah. And in that sense, I kind of saw it as like an embodiment of what Grant calls his true nature. So like mm-hmm. kind of who That's Grant is, like a, like a very monstrous version of himself is just completely manifested physically. Mm-hmm. I wrote down his transformation is like an externalization of his toxic masculinity. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And it, and it does like ask like a question. What is Grant's true nature? At the end of the film, is it just whatever the alien is, or is that Grant too? Or were they never dissimilar to begin with? I mean, yeah, I think that's I think that's like a solid question because like I don't know the answer to that. 
I think it's interesting that the alien kind of enhances and like latches on to this one aspect of Grant and his relationship with Starla, mm-hmm. but that yeah. it only re- latches on to that aspect in ways that benefit him, which I think mm-hmm. is kind of indicative of a lot of relationships in general. You know what I mean? With like mm-hmm. guys who are great, like I care about you in the capacity that you affect me and I do not care what you mm-hmm. want. Like he doesn't care that she is worried that he's going to kill her. <laughs> Yeah, I also wrote down, like, he becomes, like, this really disgusting creature and yet demands to be loved by her anyway. Yeah. Like, I'm all you have. Like, I don't care if I'm, like, some hideous monster. Who's like, literally killing everyone you, should you know. Love me. Exactly. And I and I think that's, that's so fascinating. It was one of my favorite, like, things of this film. Yeah, I, I thought it was interesting how they kept coming back to this idea that marriage is a sacred bond. They say it like two or three times and then like, you know, for better or for worse. And I think Bill says like much worse or something like that. So it's kind of like he's almost using it as a contract. Like, hey, you took this vow. Like you're supposed to stand by me through thick and thin for better or worse. And he has to keep reminding her of that. And of course, she says it a couple of times, I think, to try to placate him. But it's like taking that idea of that sacred bond to its extreme and almost to kind of like a satirical effect. Oh, you expect Mm -hmm. her to stay with him, this monstrous creature, because they took a vow Mm -hmm. and he does like start to believe her like at the end and it does remind me like of that end scene of the brood where he's like going in there to try to convince Mm -hmm. her that he wants to like reignite this marriage and then there's like that that switch where it's like oh no i disgust you and like Mm -hmm. it's the same thing here which I think is really effective. And I think that's like a really cool like parallel. I think mm-hmm. that's it's interesting too that there's like the actual repulsion, like the visceral, yeah. you look nasty aspect of it. And there's also just like the fact the people that they have become. And when I say they, I'm talking about Grant Grant and Nola. Um, yeah. Like they both have become like monstrous versions of themselves, you know, like of their worst impulses, like of their jealousy, of their mistrust, of their anger. Mm-hmm. And you think about like you know marriage and relationships and like the way people talk about stuff like that like this idea of like unconditional love that like Mm -hmm. i will be with you no matter what when like that's just not realistic like at the end of the day like if you're in a relationship where the other person is actively hurting you or like becoming something that's not you know good also the idea that the act of marriage almost kind of predetermines unconditional love like it's almost unconditional love does not have to exist because marriage exists It's a totally Mm -hmm. separate thing that has to be provided by the people who are in the relationship. It's not like a given. Yeah, it's not like it's not like marriage creates unconditional love either. They're not mutually exclusive. Especially Mm -hmm. because it's pretty obvious that what Grant wants is a quote unquote good wife. You know, like he's not interested in Starla talking to other guys. He's not interested in Starla's work. Mm -hmm. He's not interested in anything about her really besides like her body and how she impacts him. And that's, it's honestly obvious within the first 10 minutes of the film, but it's still obvious at the end because it's just as important. And that idea of like a woman having her own interests and like being her own person is Mm -hmm. kind of dismissed by a lot of the characters in the town. Like you see that with Kylie and her family, like they don't really care what she wants to do. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And I think that these two characters are rewarded for thinking outside the box in a lot of ways. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And I would say that's like also true for Bill because they definitely juxtapose him as like something different than a lot of what we see in this community. Mm -hmm. And like none of them are like, angry with their Camille Kylie might be she's a teenager Kylie doesn't hate her family you know they don't hate their town but they do kind of view the world as bigger than wheelsy the film treats them like full well-rounded people and I think that Mm -hmm. 
that's interesting in a 95 minute horror film where so much happens and it's like about slugs and stuff you know like (laughs) i think that that's one of the reasons why i like this film so much now because you walk away from it being very impressed with the amount of character development that we get in such a short film but also the strength in like the script and the narrative because Mm -hmm. it is just really well put together and it does tell a very coherent Mm -hmm. and easy to follow story but it also says something you know about what exactly a relationship should be what it's like to be married to a monster dun 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 but yeah like there's a reason why (laughs) bill is set up opposite grant and opposite the mayor you know what i mean do you think that this film being set in a small town is like insulting to small towns or do you think that it has like a sympathetic view of small towns because the last time that i watched this movie I kind of was like, oh, is this like, should I be offended if I grew up in a small town? I don't know. Did you guys think about that? I was going to ask the same question, actually. I I wasn't quite sure how we were to take the way that it paints Wheelsy. I wasn't either. I would say yes and no. Because like, in some ways, they do kind of fall into stereotypical depictions of Mm -hmm. like rural communities. I think the mayor is a good example of that. But at the same time, like, a lot of the characters that we do see are treated with respect and are, like, good people. Like, you think about minor characters like Shelby, the receptionist, who's hilarious. And the deputies, like, Margaret and Mm -hmm. the boy. They are good people and you're sad to see them die. You know what I mean? Yeah. There is, like, some humor that is being poked at small town life. Like, that Jesus saves sign Mm -hmm. is a really good example of that the deer cheer thing it's like a good example of that but i think that we're not supposed to think that these characters deserve what's coming to them you know yeah i would agree with that i hadn't thought about it the first time that i watched it it was like on a on a rewatch that i was like jarred by it especially like listening to that song like the sad world song Mm -hmm. it doesn't feel sympathetic at the beginning at least i'm kind of like a practical note and then this has been done in other films too like invade a place where no one's really going to notice that a takeover is happening basically So that you can at least mm-hmm. get a foothold in on the planet and then mm-hmm. spread from there. Yeah. So that's kind yeah. of like a trope. That makes sense. I, this, that's one of the reasons why before I chose this for the podcast, I was like, I need to watch it again because I haven't seen yeah. it in a couple of years and I want to make sure that it is as good as I remember it being. And I'm not like rose colored yeah. glasses in the situation. <laughs> I have, I had seen it twice and I knew that I really did enjoy it, but I was like, am I going to regret wanting to talk about this movie? <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like it held yeah. up really well and i i do i just i think it's really funny like i just really like this film do you think this movie would have worked if it wasn't a comedy yes because then it would just be invasion of the body snatchers but grosser <laughs> yeah i guess that's true yeah i think the comedy though like adds a certain like charm to it like it's surprisingly one of the reasons that i actually really liked it because the comedy makes it memorable it would not be as memorable yeah. without the comedy mm-hmm. in it Like I said, it just imbues it with a really specific and really well-crafted tone that I really like. And it comes down to the editing and the casting, really. I think if it were to be, if it weren't, I mean, I'm not going to say it's lighthearted, but that's the best word I can think of right now. It's it's a little bit lighthearted. Like if it went with a really serious tone, I think it would have been harder to sell that. Sell as in to get people to enjoy it. Because they're just slugs. They're slugs you know, slithering around. At the end of the day, this movie knows what it is, but it's also not trying to be a parody or anything like that. Like it's not Mm -hmm. out of the gate like I'm a comedy. There are some really good horror set pieces in this film. There are some really good sequences that are effective in their scare factor. Like they might be kind of by the book, but like, you know, they know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. this is a horror film, but it's also like really funny. And I appreciate that because i think that so often we get bogged down with films that are just like trying to go over the top and like top themselves and like this movie could have been that 
And it could have mm-hmm. been like relying so heavily on the gore that we don't get anything else. And I liked that yeah. it balanced it and was like, you know, we can we can do this really fucked up movie, but make it fun. And about people. Characters feel like really alive and like the town even feels alive. And I, I really appreciate that. I completely agree. Thank you so much for talking to me about this movie today. I, like I said, I was like really excited to talk about it because I knew it was not something that either of you would normally watch. It is very much so outside of the wheelhouse of films the two of you were seeing. It's It was very much so something that I just picked up randomly because I like watching random movies. Yeah, it feels like one that I would like, nostalgia alert, go to Blockbuster and be like, what should I watch on a Friday night? And like you look at the wall, you walk through all the, the aisles. I used to go to Blockbuster every week with my mom and we would get movies. This movie and the movie The Eye, the one that starts Jessica Alba, I would always look at their covers and be like, I wonder if that's good, but like never buy it. The Eye is very bad. It's so bad. This movie is very good. (laughs) But yeah, I was like, I always thought that this was just going to be like dumb or weird or like sexual. So like, which I guess it kind of is. That's why like I never rented it. And so like I did it randomly a few years ago, like I said, and I was just like, you know, this is a good ass movie. I am like here to stand Slither and like defend it from haters. Like, don't talk shit about Slither around me. The movie really reminds me of you. Yeah, it does. It fits perfectly in, like, your taste. And I think it's really indicative of movies that you gravitate towards. I completely agree. I like movies that have the ability to balance, like, humor and horror really well. That's yeah. that's something that I look for in a horror movie that I'm going to revisit. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I really I really enjoy this film. So what are we going to do next time? Oh my goodness, guys. We are back to my pick and I still haven't managed to pick a film in color, but at least this film is from 2019. We're going to watch Robert Eggers' The Lighthouse. Yes. I am very, very excited to have this conversation (laughs) with you guys. I, yeah, I don't want to like get into it now, but it's going to be wild. I'm sure. I feel like it's going to be how we were with the innocence and we're going to like, we're going to come in with some idea of what's going on, but at least I'm going to be like, I have no fucking idea what's happening in this movie, but I love it. (laughs) I'm just going to come, I'm going to walk up into this (laughs) podcast recording with like a whole just like manuscript (laughs) of that one, that one steak scene. And (laughs) Yeah. I will say I highly recommend watching the film before we talk about it next week to the listeners because it's a wild time. Yeah, I feel like you could get through what we just did this episode on Slither without seeing the movie. And then like hopefully it has convinced you if you got this far to see the movie. Because once again, it's worth your time. It's a fun time. But I think that The Lighthouse is something that would really appreciate the context of watching The Lighthouse. (laughs) It's just something you experience, which sounds like such a vague thing to say. But like I've only seen it once and I saw it when it was in the theater. Yeah. Me too. You guys, you guys saw it in theater too. Yeah, yeah. That's the last time I watched it. It was like my birthday weekend thing. It came out like right before my birthday, and I was like, I want to go watch the lighthouse. I remember just vibing with it the whole time, and then when it was done, I was like, Yeah, I understand about maybe three quarters of what they said. So I'm gonna have to watch it with the subtitles on this time. Oh my god! Remember when we watched The Witch for the first time, Laura, and we didn't have subtitles on, and we were just sitting in your apartment? Like, what are they saying? I know. I love that movie so much, though. Yeah, so like I'm just excited to go back and try to decipher what the hell is going on because it's been so long. Yeah, it's going to be really fun. So please join us next week. Well, next time. Or next time. 
thank you guys so much for listening to our podcast i hope you enjoyed our discussion on slither i know that i did i was very excited about it very excited to see you guys back for the lighthouse thank you so much for listening to the end of this episode we appreciate you so much make sure to follow us on instagram at slashers prefer blondes podcast and you know like rate and review us on the podcast app of your choice you know whether it be like itunes or spotify just like let us know what you think we appreciate you guys sticking around for as long as you have if you're still listening or if you just started on your first episode we're so happy to have you welcome (laughs) i think that's it for this time we need to come up with like an outro stay spooky sperm worms we need to come up with a better outro see you guys all next time (laughs) End of podcast. <laughs>